All right, so get your Bibles, get your Bibles ready and open to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, good morning again. Please turn your Bibles to Exodus 20. And this morning, if you have not been here, I do see some visitors. We've been in the book of Exodus beginning at the first of the year in, in 22. We're going to finish out the remainder of 22 in the book of Exodus. That's what we do around here. We get in a book and we stay with it for a long time. We really think through it. We really teach through it and gives us time to think about it, understand it, uh, know it better. By the way, if you're here today and you do not own a Bible, you did not bring a Bible, somewhere probably around you underneath the seats you'll find a black Bible. Uh, if you do find one and you do not own one, take that. That is our gift from us to you. Uh, we believe that everybody should own a Bible. They should read the Bible because that is the way of, that God speaks to us, and it will be until Jesus returns. Um, so for the past few weeks, like I said, we've been in chapter 20, and each week we've been kind of working our way through. We have, if you've noticed, the last couple of weeks we've kind of slowed down a little bit when we got to the Ten Commandments. There's a reason for that. Uh, a lot of the reason behind that is because people think they know about the Ten Commandments, uh, but then they, they really don't. There's a little bit more depth and structure to it. And that's really what I'm going to get in today is more of the structure. I will focus on uh, one particular verse. But I was reading the other day, there was a, there was a mother that was teaching their, their children the Ten Commandments. And there was a couple little girls there. And it got down to commandment number five. And she said uh, that you should honor your father and mother. And so they had brother. And they said, well, well, that's interesting. Is there a command there that speaks to how I should address your, our brother? And the mom said, yes, there is. The next one, number six, is thou shalt not murder. So, all right. So you like that. If, it, if that didn't go over well, I was going to pray and just let you go eat lunch. As you know, as you know I'm not big on stories or jokes. And Lori's like, yeah, come on, you got to do something. So I'm like, here we go. So for today's reading, uh, I'm going to focus on verses 1 to 17. Uh, we're almost in the middle of our commands. I know Hunter finished up command number four last week. Um, Clay actually taught Wednesday night on honor your father and mother. I will make a few comments on that. And because we're in the middle of the commands, uh, like I said, I want to point out a few interesting things, not just on the commands specifically, but kind of the structure of the New Testament, uh, of the Ten Commandments in general. So open to... Um, Exodus 20, we're going to start at verse 1. Everybody there? It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates." For in six days the Lord hath made heaven and earth, 
the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land, and the, the Lord your God is, that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That is the reading of today's text. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, um, help us today gaze into your, your mirror. As Stoney read of the encounter with Jesus and the rich young ruler, Father, you expose the commandments to a man that asks a, a, such a deep question. But Father, it was, it was a wrong perspective. Father, as we look into your scriptures, help us to see not just that it's interesting, but Father, that we need a Savior, that we've always needed a Savior. That you're, you're a God that has never changed. That your commandments have always existed because your character has always been the same. Father, when we're through today, Father, I pray that you help us praise you more. Understand you more. Trust you more. Have confidence in you more. And so that when we leave here, not just our life is effective, but you give us opportunities, and that confidence breeds sharing of the gospel. Father, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were here the first week, as I said, we've kind of slowed down a little bit. The first week we got into Exodus chapter 20, uh, Hunter brought our attention to uh, some things that Jesus said in Matthew 22. And so I'll call your attention. You don't have to flip. There's just a few verses Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, uh, he was asked this. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Okay? So I want to start out by reminding us, let us be reminded this morning that Jesus said this. He did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so also remember that when we use the words, the law... We're speaking about God's moral law and not the ceremonial law of the Jews. So we no longer observe the ceremonial law. And so the ceremonial law is things like feast and sacrifices and clothing and dietary restrictions, circumcision, etc. Ceremonial law given to the nation of the Jews. We're no longer of that. Christians are no longer bound by the ceremonial law, and so since the church is not the nation of Israel, memorial festivals such as the Feast of the Weeks and Passover do not apply. You can find this in Galatians 3, in 23 through 25. It, it explains that since Jesus has come, we're not required 
um, to sacrifice or to circumcise, etc. So what is in view here when Jesus says he comes to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it is the moral law. Okay, that's what we just read, the moral law. And so as I prayed, if you caught that in my prayer, you think about it. The moral law has always been true and will continue to be true because it reflects the character of God. And people of all time has been accountable to God through the moral law. Okay, and so I want you to know that just because the moral law and the Ten Commandments were given here it doesn't mean they've started here. Okay? So here's an example of, for you to think about. For example, murder, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, was always wrong, and it was always a sin against God's moral law. And so remember early on in Genesis when Cain killed his brother Abel, uh, back in Genesis 4, the Lord says to Cain, He says, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then he goes on to tell Cain, he's cursed. So what happens? He murders his brother. He's broken God's moral law. He's sinned against his brother. But the Ten Commandments hadn't been given. So I want to bring to your attention that God's moral law has always been because of the character of God. The moral law existed when He gave it to him, and the moral law will continue to exist because it reflects the character of God. That makes sense? But here in Exodus chapter 20, well, here's what God was doing. Uh, he, was, he was publicly affirming. He was putting in writing. He was codifying uh, the law that's always e existed, right? He was saying, uh, this, this is established, but I'm going to publicly affirm it. I'm going to put it in writing. That's what's happening here. And so we'll also see that in the, in the coming weeks when we get into chapters 21 and, and 22. What we'll find there is based upon the moral law that he gave them, he's going to give his judges... And the people who rule the nation of Israel's examples based upon the law and how to judge and how to rule the nations, a lot of that we still see now in our judicial system. It comes from Exodus chapter 20 and some of the rulings on the moral law that we, we do right now, we find it here in Exodus 20, 21, and 22. So before I highlight a few of these commands, let's consider the structure. I think this is pretty interesting. And so as I mentioned the first week, um, our pastor um, brought it before you. I believe he did that there's two parts to the law. And so when we read the passage earlier from Matthew 22 where Jesus pretty much summarizes, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, I come to fulfill it. And then he summarized them in two. So he says, love the God, our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then number, um, then number two was love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two. So he didn't come to change course, edit, remove anything. He's saying of the ten, you can summarize it in these two. Okay, so the first part of the law, some people call it the table of the law. I was talking to Lori, don't let that confuse you. That's just what it's known as. Why? I have absolutely no idea. So I'm just going to say part of the law, first part of the law, first half of the law. Uh, we find things like this. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and then honor your father and mother. Okay? So what's laid out in the first part or the first table of the law is here, love God only. Which, which follows suit with what Jesus says. Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
Those first five, or first four at least, and I'll make a comment about five in a second, at least those first four clearly are pointing at how to love God. Um, so, uh, in command number two, which I read, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness. It ends this way. It says, you should not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Does anybody read that and go, whew, I'm a jealous God. That seems wrong. Okay. Uh, sometimes we can because that word has negative connotations. So when we see the word jealous, when we mean I'm jealous, it says that I desire another person's possessions, positions, or praise. When I'm jealous, it says God's done me wrong. I deserve something else or more. So when I'm jealous, I'm coveting and I'm sinning against God. But it is right for God to be jealous because there is nothing that no one or nothing that possesses more than God. There's no position higher than God. Right. And then there's um, there's nothing that deserves more praise than God. And so it is right for God. We want God to protect his glory. It is only right for God to not share his glory with another. God must be a jealous God. But when we are jealous, we're sinning because we're, we're acknowledging that we're not content with what we have. God, you have done me wrong. That is sinful. So notice what happens in command number five. I, know, I, know to mention, I mentioned that Clay spoke about this uh, on Wednesday night, if you're in there. Uh, what we see here, so I, I said we get two parts. What we see here is a, a transition. So you've got a transition from the first part of the law, or first table of the law, to the second part. Some may argue that uh, command number five uh, should be placed in the second part of the law under love your neighbor as yourself, where some would argue that it needs to be placed under the first part of the law is love your God. And so the reason I say that, in one sense, honor your father and mother is a way to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's a way to love your mother and your father. Uh, but in another sense, it is God saying we are to love him by honoring our parents because it is one of the primary functions of authority he has set on the earth. You follow me? It is something that God has ordained. Honor your father and mother. And this first part of the law focuses on God and his authority. So um, we could argue that it could be placed in the first table or the second table. I'm not going to argue with you, but it is there and it's neat to think about that God says in the first part of the law, I'm your authority. And now as he's, he's transitioning to looking down how we're to live and deal with each other horizontally and not vertically with him. The first thing he establishes is authority through the family, authority through the father, through the mother. And so for the, those children here, when you're uh, for those with children here. Uh, you tell your kids to do something and they ask the question, what? Why? Then what do you say? Because I said so. That is authority. Some people, we get away with that. T today, people think, that's not a right response. You've got to sit down and you have to reason with a two-year-old. You can't reason with a two-year-old. You've been given authority over them by God. Because I said so is a very acceptable answer. Kids, honor your father and mother. So as we see here, the authority of the family unit in today's society is being crushed. And it's under great attack. We see problems in our world that comes fundamentally 
from people dishonoring their father and mother. Not, not only ex directly dishonoring your father and mother, but the world claps for it. They celebrate of the sin of dishonoring the family unit. They're in for whatever it takes to destroy it. But God has ordained this authority on the earth. It not only honors and loves people on the earth, but it honors the authority of God because He says, here's your authority on the earth. Same goes with husbands and wives. You know, there's an authority structure given by Jesus, by God, that honors Him. Same thing uh, with leaders in our country. That's a hard thing to do, but it, you read Romans, we're to honor them in some sense. Same thing with church, authority. Authority is not a bad thing. Authority is a God-honoring thing and should be handled rightly. Follow me? So um, let's now consider the second part of the law. So there's a little summary there on the first part of the law. Let's consider, consider the second part of the law, the second table of the law, right, Lori? Second table of the law. That way, look, I'm saying it. If you hear it, you'll understand what it means. I didn't know what that meant before, where it came up with. I have no idea. Let's look at commands 6 through 10. So I want to focus today more on the sixth command that says, You shall not murder. But notice this first. Notice this about... Uh, these five, that from 10 to 6, if you go in reverse, they seemingly increase or heighten in severity. Here's what I mean. Follow me on this. Number 10 says, You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. That's 10. So coveting, when you think about sin, it's where it all begins. Think about it. To covet is to be discontent and not just want what I have, but want, I want what you have too. That is the sin against God. Look at 9. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So when you think about these, when God says, Love God on the first table, love your neighbor as yourself, Second, second part of the table. He's saying don't deprive other people of these things. So I start with coveting in 10. And then I ratchet it up. And it says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So the next step up is to bear false witness. And this is essentially to deprive someone else of their reputation. You follow me? I'm going to destroy their reputation. I'm going to bear false witness against them. But more than likely, it be my false bearing a false witness, there's some coveting that began in there. There's something that I didn't agree with and how I was dished out. I want to harm someone else and I want to benefit me. I slander whatever it is. I bear false witness. Now look at number eight. We're ratcheting up. Thou shalt not steal. Pretty obvious. We're getting a little bit more severe. Now God's saying is, don't deprive your neighbor of their things. Look at next. You shall not commit adultery. Get more severe. You shall not deprive your neighbor of his or her family. And finally, number six, you shall not murder. This is to, to deprive your neighbor of his or her life. So you see how this increases from 10 to 6 with degrees of severity. I found that very interesting uh, that it would work backwards that way all under the second part of the law. And another thought that I had this week, which I thought was really interesting too, 
was when I considered the moral law of God and I thought back to the garden of Adam and Eve where they sinned against God and it all began, I thought, what did they break? So the serpent comes in and he says, did God say this? Did really God say you can't eat that? Because you know if you eat that, you can be like God and gain knowledge. Sounded good to them, right? They coveted that position. They coveted that knowledge. And so because they coveted, they broke number 10. Because they coveted the position of God to be like Him, they broke number 1. So the first sin that ever happened in the world, they broke 10 and 1. And then what happened? 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and 9 has reigned since. Isn't that interesting? It's like they're the bookends of the evil that would eventually just wreak havoc for creation until Jesus will come back and stop it. Interesting. Very interesting to me. So lastly today, I said, I want to give you a little bit of structure. I've done that. But I do want to focus and highlight one of the commands, command number six, which is you shall not murder. Okay. First thing I want you to know is it does not say you shall not kill. There's a difference. Big difference. So let us consider this difference and examine the sin of murder for a moment. So as I said, murder is depriving someone else of their life. And so the first thing we need to know here is that the creation account in Genesis, we find God creating man and woman. And he says this. He says, he made them male and female. He created them and that he created them in the image of God. Very important to understand that. So murder is serious in ways that we don't even understand. Uh, so it's not only what I mean by that. It's not only a name, uh, a way that harms someone. It removes their life. And then you have others who lost a life, somebody that they loved. But it's also a, an offense to the creator of life, the one whose image they bear. You understand that? They bear the image of God. He created them. We have absolutely no right to deprive any image bearer of God of their life. That's murder. So as followers of Christ, we must understand this. And we must know how to think and respond in the, in the world around us to the issues that, that they face. So uh, how we deal with things like capital punishment. okay, Engaging in military war. Self-defense and the hot topic of abortion. Those are, those are issues. How do we reason? How do we take the Bible and reason in our position that we are to stand here as believers? So I'm going to be doing a lot of just quick reading. And I, do, I want to examine those four. And it will not be an exhaustive examination biblically of each one of those four. We don't have the time for that. It could be done. There's a lot more. Uh, I would say as you do this, Examine Old Testament and New Testament with these things. But it is something that we should grasp. We should understand. And just know this. I didn't create this list, nor did you. None of us did. But the, the God who created us in His image did and has asked and commanded us to obey. And that's just true. No, no, no matter how offensive they are, we're not the ones that are, offend, are, are, are the offenders. Let God do that. We're, we're, 
We're only the mouthpiece of God. The same thing when we share the gospel. Um, yesterday morning, when I went to a local store to shop, I met some Jehovah's Witnesses. I offended them. I did not mean to, but it wasn't me that offended them. It was the fact that they had a void gospel. They had no gospel, and I had the true gospel. I'm sorry that offended them, but it was just true. So let's look at this. First, capital punishment. Here's the definition of capital punishment. This is the legally authorized killing of someone as punishment for a crime. Okay? There's a few key passages here. One is Exodus 21, 12. It says, He that smites a man so that he dies shall be surely put to death. Uh, Numbers 35, 16 through 17. If someone strikes and kills another person with a piece of iron, it is murder, and the murderer must be executed. Or if someone with a stone in his hand strikes and kills another person, it's murder, and the murderer must be put to death. Deuteronomy 19, 11 through 12. I'm not going to read all of it, but here's a highlight from that. But if out of hate someone lies in wait, assaults and kills a neighbor, and then flees to one of these cities, the killer shall be sent for by the town elders, be brought back to that city, and been handed over to the avenger, um, to the avenger of blood to die. And you go, whoa, that's Old Testament. <laughs> that's Old Testament, Brent. God's a lot more kind and gentle. Just love Jesus in the New Testament. You need to read your Bible a lot better than that if that's what you believe. People believe that. That is a lie. God is a God that never changes. God deals justly and rightly with the lawbreakers, and that has never stopped, and nor will it. So we see it also carried over in the New Testament. You see it from Acts. In um, uh, Acts 25, 9 through 11, it says, But Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor, so he asked Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and be tried there on these charges with me as your judge? Paul says, I'm standing in the emperor's court where I must be tried. I haven't done anything wrong to the Jews, as you know very well. If I'm guilty and have done something wrong for which I deserve the death penalty, I don't reject the idea of dying. But if their accusations are untrue, no one can hand me over to them as a favor. I appeal my case to the emperor. Paul says, look, this is a a well-known thing. Uh, You can read in Genesis 9, uh, a life for a life. And Paul's affirming this practice now is not an ungodly thing. It's it's a horrible thing, but uh, we we serve a God that is just. And God has given this uh, authority in certain uh, opportunities. Here's what capital punishment is not. I'm going to be very, very clear. Capital punishment is not taking matters into your own hands and avenging life by killing. Okay? It's not an individual getting upset because somebody's broken the law and I'm going to take care of this myself. That is not a God-ordained practice. That is murder. There are God-ordained means through uh, local governments, governments, uh, groups of people to rightly and justly carry out this act. Um, number two, engaging in war that leads to death of others. What about that? I'll point out that Romans uh, 13, 1 through 14, it, it says this. This is not all of it, but I'm going to read you just a little bit. Then I'm going to make some comments about this for the sake of time. It says, every person, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For if there's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. 
and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I'll make this comment. War is never desired as a believer. War is never desired. But we have a duty to protect life and fight for peace on the earth. That's true. Uh, I read an article a few days ago produced by Ligonier Ministries. It's L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. If you ever see anything they produce, it's probably very, very solid. I listen to a lot of things they produce. It says this about war. All war is a result of evil, but fighting in a war is not necessarily evil. Scripture gives us the right of self-defense in Exodus 22, 2 and 3, and war can be self-defense on a grand scale. As, today pass, as, uh, as today, today's passage there in Exodus, God gives the government, not the private citizens, the authority to administer punitive justice. Wars can be declared only by governments, and thus believers can join the army and defend their country against illegal assaults. This does not forbid preemptive strikes in the case of a clear and present danger, but preemption must be used very very cautiously. Okay, so the Bible does speak on that. Our heart should be for peace. Our heart should be to protect life. Our heart should be to protect image bearers of God. And there's, there's times when we need to rise up as believers to protect image bearers of God. And that means some really harsh things for others in certain, certain times. Number three, self-defense. Exodus 22, 2 through, through 3 says, If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. Okay? Somebody breaks in my house at nighttime. I'm protecting my image bearers of God that I have authority of, my wife and my children. That is not murder. I'm protecting seven people from the one guy. I'm protecting image bearers of God. I have a right. And so I just read Exodus 22, and we'll get to that. So we're in Exodus 20. So what I read for you to you is 22. 22 is going to be an outflow of an example. So God gives the commands, thou shalt not murder. And then he's going to give situational judgments. This is a situational judgment based upon how to deal with thou shalt not murder. And it says, if a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and struck and killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty of murder. That, this is how you are to judge on the earth as a result of the command that I gave you that says, thou shalt not murder. Okay? Lastly, abortion. This is an extremely hot topic, and we as followers of Christ must understand what's at stake here. And I want to say this. We cannot, under any circumstance, affirm the death of an unborn child in the womb. Under any circumstance. Any circumstance. And so there are arguments and there are situations that may cause 
us to want to provide justification for certain instances where we think it should be an option. But hear me loud and clear today. There is no justified reason under the sun before God to deprive the life of any child in the womb. Not one. Not one. And so God's Word is extremely clear from that the moment of conception is that what you have inside the mother is a God-created and unique image-bearer of God. Completely separate from the moment of conception. We're not counting times. We're saying there's an image bearer unique to the body of this woman that God has placed there. God is sovereign. God has the right to place it there. And we don't have the right to take it. Under no circumstance. Think about this. Answer this in your mind. Does God create life? Yes. Does God create all life? Yes. Then why do we justify taking any of an innocent child in the womb? That should not be accepted ever. Job 31, listen to this. Just listen. Job 31, 18. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Psalm 139, 13, 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What about this? What about children with health challenges? We have science that we can, we can predict that. We can see it. What about that? The Lord, um, we, we can find that. Exodus 4 says, The Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf? Or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? Is it not I the Lord? Yes. Here's what I would leave to you guys. There's certain situations there that will make a heartache for people. I understand it. I understand it. It can be confusing. It can be hard to determine who to land on because there's a lot of people involved in different decisions that are made here. But we must never take the life of a child in the womb. He gives and takes away. What about rape? That's one you hear a lot. It makes your heart break. Where do we ever believe it's right to harm a child because of the sin of their father? Never. When you say it like that, that's what we're dealing with. That was no accident. It's hard for us. Why is it hard for us? Because it's hard for us to trust God. It's easier for us to want to be God. I want to encourage you this. Let God be God and let us obey and trust Him. Just let God be God. We don't need to rise up and play God. He's the life giver. He gives and takes away. And He has every right to do so because He is God, but we are not. We have no right to rob the life of another image bearer unjustly. None. It's very hard for us. Let me go back to the 10th the commandment. Why? It says that we covet. We covet. 
As believers, we must not compromise. The late R.C. Sproul says, It is not the wickedness of the pagan that breaks my heart. It's the compromise of the Christian that grieves my soul. We should fear God and not allow or condone law-breaking. We aren't giving our opinion, and we feel it is right. We are to agree with God and His commands. John MacArthur says this, If, if the demons believe, tremble, and are not saved, what does it say about those who profess to believe and don't even tremble? We should tremble if we disagree with God and promote anything against His Word. So in closing today, I want you to hear this. I want you to remember this. We all are lawbreakers. We all are lawbreakers. As we look at the moral law of God, here's what we're staring at. We're staring directly into a mirror. As Stoney read from the rich young ruler, that was Jesus' intention. The lawbreaker says, the, the rich young ruler says, What must I, I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Wrong question. Jesus says, Look at this. Here's seven of the Ten Commandments. Look in the mirror, guy. And the guy takes a look and he says, I've done those since I was a little boy. I'm good. What else do I have to do? So far, I'm good. Jesus was like, No, you're not. You're a lawbreaker. You've kept none of those since you were a little boy. Now go and sell your things to the poor. Sell your possessions. Give all of it to the poor. That's not the point. The point is, he was a lawbreaker. We're lawbreakers, and we're, we've looked into a mirror. The good news is that when Jesus said, back to what I mentioned earlier, he came not to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. And he did that very thing. That's good news. So don't miss that. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. He didn't say, I'm going to come judge you more strictly with it. He says, I came to fulfill it. So Jesus obeyed the moral law of God without one offense or sin. And his righteousness, that righteousness which because He was truly God also, He was able to do, that righteousness can be obtained by us through faith and repentance. So that laws that we broke, He didn't break, I gain His righteousness. When I look in the mirror, it's not to judge, it's to realize I am judged. Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn it, it's already condemned. It was already condemned because of the sin. If you're in sin, the sin of Adam, it, if you're in Adam, you're condemned. Jesus come to be the last Adam, the true and better Adam, to live a perfect life that we couldn't live so that we can get His righteousness. He didn't come to condemn. He come to save. He come to rescue. He come to give us mercy. What He wants us to do is to realize that we are lawbreakers. Lawbreakers. Picture this. I want you to picture. I know some of you guys, I know some of you have regrets in your past. I know it. I know this. I understand it. I get it. We all do. We've all broken these commands. And matter of fact, there's two of them, adultery and murder. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. What he's saying is, it's your heart, people. 
Quit looking at the list and saying you're good because you're not. That's the point of the Ten Commandments. So I know that there's brothers and sisters here that this morning that they still regret. Oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture Jesus on that cross. Dying on that cross. Picture it in your mind. God is saying this. We are that depraved. You see it? The God-man lived the perfect life. Didn't deserve to be there. Pilate says, I found no fault in the guy, but I, I guess you're going to kill him anyway. One of the thieves says, I don't even know why you're here. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You shouldn't be here. You did no wrong. But God is saying, we are that wicked. We are that depraved. God is saying, my moral law exposes you. And it is so bad that it took this. Jesus on the cross. Here's the good news. God is also saying, this is how much I love you. The price, the, I paid the price. God says, I paid the price. You can't do it. You can't pay it. You're this depraved, but I love you this much. That's what Jesus did. Jesus hanging on that cross, God saying, I'm taking it upon myself to rescue you. That's what he did. He rescued. We all need a rescue because we're all lawbreakers. I know it's heavy. So through faith and repentance, Christ has justified you before God and forgiven you. If you have regrets in your past, forgive yourself because if you're rooted in Christ, it's faith alone and your repentance in what the finished work of Jesus, you have been justified before God and you've been forgiven. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. And there's not one sin that Jesus didn't come to die for. Not one. Not one. I know, praise team, come on up. I know the room is heavy, guys. I know the room is heavy right now. But I want you to realize that one, of the, one day Jesus is, cr is crashing into the place. And so for all the sin and all the wickedness and all the death, it one day will be gone. It one day will be all gone. And so those found in Jesus will live with Jesus for eternity. But up until, until that day, here's what we do. We do not compromise with the, with the law of God. We do not compromise with the Word of God. We continue to trust in Jesus alone and saying things like, Come, Lord Jesus. If you're here today and you're outside of the grace and mercy of God, um, this, the, the Ten Commandments should expose your sin. It should expose your need of a Savior. If you're indifferent to that, then here's who you're trusting in. Yourself. That is idolatry and you've broken one command there because what you're saying is, I'm indifferent to that. I know that I'm good enough and there's going to be a weighted scale one day based upon my goodness. I don't have to worry about it. I know I'll be fine. You're trusting yourself. That's idolatry. 
That's idolatry. There's only one safe place, and it is hidden and rooted in the life, death, burial, and resurrection in the God-man Jesus. So today, if you have any questions about the gospel, I, I, I plead with you to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. Uh, we're all in need of rescue, and that's exactly what He did. He lived the life we couldn't live. He, wrote, he, he died on the cross and rose again. And all God is saying is to repent and trust the finished work of Jesus. That's the good news. That's the good news. So if you haven't done that, I plead with you today, do not die in your sins as we stand and as we sing.